0: Please note that there were some audio issues during this live stream. I'm so glad that you're here today with the second part of the series on neighboring. Now, we've had an interesting journey with lives as well. It is a simple command of Jesus. It's not always so simple to learn. And I think one of the times in my life where I really had to face it the first time when I didn't have a church community and I had to figure out, Moved to from Johannesburg, 1600 kilometers to Cape Town at the end of 2015 to go and start a church. And they call that a parachute drop church plant. We didn't have family there, we didn't know anyone. Community one we were used to with completely different people, and it was Yolande, myself, and our dog. So, So we started talking in an um, apartment building that was mostly Jewish people. We learned that they give you a real... Initially, learn they can trust you, and then you're part of the family, right? But we're like, okay, we need to, need to meet more people, so we joined an app called Meetup. And Meetup is an interesting app. It's, it has different things you can do with, and people just sign up for it, and it's all free. So it can be, you go to an art class, whatever you want. So our first time we sign up to go for this walk this long to the open about hundred other people. So we show up for this walk. It's kind of like Yulan and myself talking to each other and afterwards on the lawn and you know standing around awkwardly and I bump you, and I'm like, go and talk to someone. She's like, you go and talk to someone. I'm like, I don't know what to say, like you go. So finally, we, we get our courage together and we go and we start talking to people. I don't even remember the time, like five o'clock or, or something in the afternoon. But we went home with so many new friends, people, and we ended up with a that was made up of people of different cultures, different skin colors, different languages, came from completely different backgrounds. Um, whether that was the family of upbringing, the religion, whatever. So many different people together because when we started bumping each other and say, you go and speak to them, we actually stepped up to the plate and we decided to speak to someone that's a stranger. But here is the lesson that I learned from that. sometimes neighbor, especially when you don't know someone, especially when they're significantly different to you. And that is what we're going to be talking about in the second part of our series, Neighboring. We're going to be talking about the barriers that exist us and our neighbors, and how we can overcome those barriers. Can you guys progress one slide for me, please? How we can overcome barriers between us and our neighbors. Now, if you were here last week, if you missed last week, you can go give a little quick review of what we spoke about last week after we've read um, our text in the Bible. But go and catch it up, because last week was the intro of this, and we started a discussion this discussion around a discussion that a religious leader had with Jesus to find out what he should do to live according to God's ways. And he said, well, the Bible says if you summarize everything, it's love God and love your neighbor. And then Jesus said, yes, go and do that. But then he came with a question and he said, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And he wanted that question answered for a very specific reason. And instead of Jesus just answering it with an answer, he actually asked him another question in the form of a parable. A parable Told that meaning to it, and that's what we're going to read today. So, we're going to start again where we started last week and read a little more on between Jesus and the religious leader. So, we're reading from Luke 10, verse 25 to 34 today. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus because okay, so he wasn't just being nice, he didn't just want to know this. He asked, What? is to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. So do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And now in reply, Jesus told this parable, this story. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, they were the helpers of the priests in the temple. A Levite, when he came to the place and he saw the man, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, and we're going to be talking about the significance of that in a while. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. And took care of him. That's what we're going to be reading today. Next week we'll continue this parable of Jesus. This man started this whole parable that Jesus is is sharing. He started by a question where he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And the Bible said he wanted to judge. He wanted his neighbor to fit a specific box that he liked So that he knew it was easy for him to keep that commandment. And last week we spoke a a little bit about this. The first problem that we sometimes do when we hear the word neighbor, to love our neighbor, we shrink it down to fit our box. Now, this is how the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders saw it back in their day. It was quite say, love your neighbor, your fellow Israelite. The problem is therefore even more so they would say, Love your your fellow Pharisee. So he's tiny that he's like, Well, it's easy to love my neighbor, it's all the people I get along with the people that look like me, the people who speak think like me. But we said last week we can run into two other problems, and the one is to widen it too much. My neighbor, someone like someone somewhere in the world struggling with an issue. And it's kind of like, that's the people we need to love. You know, somewhere in China or somewhere in Africa, but it's too far. I feel good. We actually have to do something about this problem because who can take care of the whole world? That's the second problem. Why? The third problem is that we abstract it. We make it all metaphorical. Jesus asked us to have this kind of metaphorical love for a metaphorical neighbor so that we can bring about metaphorical change. But that's not what Jesus wanted. That's not what God wants of us. He was very clear. What does that mean? It means the people. It means the person living. It means the person sitting at the desk next to yours or the office. It means the person in the class. The person at the same point. It means the person you are in. It means the person that you come across. It is anyone that crosses your those physically around us and we are supposed to love them but it's hard because there's barriers between us and our neighbors so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at four barriers that come up in this parable and i think barriers that are present in all of our lives and i'm so excited to hear feedback from all of our grace groups from a lot of our grace group that that this is really challenging us, but it's also really hard. So I hope you can expose some of the barriers in your own life, and you can go like, maybe I can overcome this barrier too. The first barrier that exists between us and our neighbor is the barrier of personal comfort. If you read the beginning of this parable in verse 32, 32. Three people are mentioned initially. And who are those three people? Probably all of them Jewish people. The first man, they don't really, Jesus doesn't really give background on him. But he's on his way from Jerusalem with the temple of God was back to Jericho. So he probably came from where we kind of assume. From The Samaritan was like, Whoa, what happened? That it was an enemy of the Samaritan, which meant it was a Jewish person, so it was probably a Jew. Who was the priest? Guess what? All that served in the temple. Who was the temple? So, in the way that the religious leaders narrowed it down, who care for a Jewish man that's been hurt next to the road? another Jewish person. That makes sense, right? But even, even if they somehow could... I don't know what, what nationality this person is. In Exodus 23 verse 4, they had a rule to also love their enemies. In Leviticus 19 verse 34, God, to be kind to strangers in the land. In Micah 6 verse 4, I require... So whether they knew this man or not, they care for this man. This priest and this Levite, these two people that were in service of God and the people, they walked past him. And it's so sad to me that when you read this story, you kind of like... In, in my mind, I see how they're walking down this road, and right in front of them, this man is lying that's been beaten, that's broken. Because the Bible specifically, the parable that Jesus tells is they cross the road to the other side so that they can avoid him. They were heading in his direction, but when they see him, they avoid him. Now, if you've ever heard a sermon on the parable of the Samaritan, if you grew up in church, you would have probably... It might have been a valid reason for the priest and the Levite... To have avoided this person. Because if someone that did duty in a temple touched a dead body, a corpse, they now were seen as unpeer and they wouldn't be able to do service in the temple anymore. But That's actually not. Necessarily a great argument because one, they had the duty to take care of people, to show mercy. But two, the Bible very specifically, Jesus says this man that was beaten went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about 3,000 feet above sea level to 1,000 feet above sea level. He went down the road. And then it says that the priest also went down the road and the Levite also went down the road. So we can assume that they were probably also heading away from the temple to walk. In Jericho or wherever it might be. So they probably finished their service in the temple, and the way that the service in the temple worked, it was divided into different sections, so once your service is done, you wouldn't be serving there again for another year or so. So these people probably didn't use to say, like, what if we touch him and he's dead and we can't do our work that, that we're supposed to be doing in the temple? That probably... When I read the story, I think the main thing that Jesus wants us to see is that a priest and a Levite care for this man, looks at him, and decide, I do not want to get involved. They could have made all kinds of excuses, but they don't. They simply just don't want to get involved. And there's no justification for their neglect. And maybe you've been there, maybe you're like, oh, well, I'm not that bad. I've never seen someone really beaten up and broken. But we all sometimes do this where we make one excuse as good as the other, not engage with people, right? I've lived people crossing you. Like, it's so funny after COVID, right? You'll be walking down the road, and especially younger people. Like, I've told you about that's on our block. And like, Yulan and I have really tried. But he always has his headphones on. He's walking straight towards him. Then he crosses. And then we cross. And then he crosses back. <laughs> and then you go like, just focus. I can't hear you now. I've got headphones on. Like. <laughs> but we all sometimes do that. We cross around. Or you quickly cr- close the door or turn off the lights so that they don't see your home. You simply want to get involved. And maybe you hope that someone else will take care of the problem. Maybe you hope that someone else will do something in this person's life. Maybe you're just not, and this is probably the real reason. Maybe you're simply not comfortable being a good neighbor. And I think especially after COVID, we we became trapped in our houses, right? It is hard. We lost some social skills. Kids growing up in covid Things that we think is normal. They never picked up on it. All interactions was through a screen. So maybe you just got so comfortable that it's easier for you to sit on your couch than to go out and to be a great neighbor. Than to care for people in need. We have conversations like... But how, how do I feel about the fact to neighbor? No, like, I'm not comfortable with it. I haven't talked, I haven't discussed this with my counselor. So I don't know if, like, the effect that it will have on me. So I'm not sure if I should do this. And what is sad to me, just like the priest and the Levi, often what we do is when we hear Jesus telling us that we have to be good neighbors, we make it all about ourselves. But Jesus, I'm an introvert. Jesus, this is out of my comfort zone. I don't want to do that. I don't like it. Like, why should I do it? And real article, Our first real standing between us and other people is our selfishness of just being comfortable. I think especially so in developed countries like Canada. Jesus is literally in this story saying, I want someone to cross the road towards this man and help him. I want someone to be a good neighbor and I want that someone to be you. That is the fulfillment of the law. You see, Jesus didn't say he came to destroy the laws of the Jewish people. He said he came for the fulfillment. So, what's the fulfillment of the like for a Christian? It looks like seeing someone in need and crossing the road direction, not away from them. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably going like, but hey, cross the road first. Like he's he's more extroverted. Now, I want you to hear this very clearly. Okay, so if you're online, turn up the volume. If you're in the room, listen closely. If you wonder why you're supposed to cross the road first to break the ice and not your neighbor, it's this simple fact. Your neighbor does not have the mandate to do so. If you are a Christian, you have a specific mandate from Jesus To cross the road. To be a good neighbor. They don't need to do it. The world doesn't need to do it. We have the mandate to do it. And great neighbors need to step forward. That's preventing them from involvement with those around us. So I don't know what your place of comfort might be but the first barrier that you have to overcome is your own barrier of comfort of not wanting to get involved of not wanting to be burdened by someone else. But the second neighbor the second barrier that we read about from verse 33 is when someone else and that is a Samaritan and the second barrier I think that we have to cross is the social barrier. See, if you don't know the history, Jewish people and the Samaritans were once one tribe called the Israelites. They had one king, King David, and then King Solomon. And then after King Solomon, the kingdom split in two. It became the northern kingdom known as Israel, and it became the southern kingdom known as Judah. But then in 722 bef- before Christ, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. And part of their strategy was let's take some of the people out of the country and let's put some other people in of the co- into the country because what happens? They started to lose their culture. They started to lose their religion. So some of the Samaritans started to mix up their religion and they built different temples and the Judeans felt Jerusalem is the. So what happened at the end of the day, they actually sometimes had war with each other. And they started to dislike each other to such an extent that we read, for example, in John 8, verse 48, where religious people wanted to name, give Jesus a bad name when they wanted to insult him. They called him a Samaritan. It was like a swear word to them. And this Samaritan comes and he disrupts the expectation of this Jewish audience that Jesus is telling this story to because he breaks the social norms. He breaks the relationship. He goes to someone that hates him, someone that's not supposed to hang out with him, and he says, I'm going to cross the road to be his neighbor. Why? Because we read in verse 33 that his heart went out to him. Literally, he looked at a man and he said, It is a man completely different to me, but I have pity on him. And I wonder how this parable that Jesus shared rocked the boats of, of the people around him, the religious leaders, like, oh, like, how could Jesus speak about this Samaritan being a nice guy, right? But we all live with certain social norms based on the groups we're in. And it creates prejudice in all of our hearts. So think about it for a moment. Your culture, the culture you grew up in, that shaped certain ideas of how you think of people of other cultures and other skin colors and other languages. The religion you grew up in probably shaped your idea of what people are like in other religions. If you're a Christian, the church that you grew up in, the specific denomination, shaped your view of how you interact with other christians of other denominations that have differences to you we all are influenced by social norms that we grow up in and it creates prejudice in our life and then we add the fact that we have 24 7 access to news like i can take my phone out now and like i know everything that's going on from russia to china to south africa to canada right And what it does is it creates even more anxiety because now with all of the constant news that's constantly telling us how bad certain people are, it just heightens that and I become more and more afraid of my neighbor that doesn't speak like me, that doesn't do things like I would do. And then we make all of these assumptions about culture and ideologies and religions that keep us from befriending other people. But Jesus was telling the story, and he's basically saying, God doesn't want your social norms to determine who your neighbor will be. That's why the Old Testament defined it as, it's your enemy as well. It is the stranger in your country, the person that wasn't a believer in God. He asked us to cross barriers of divide and to love, to, to see that need in someone and to meet that need right there, to care about people. And what is so incredible to me is when we are willing to neighbor like that as Christians, it is not just that we go against social norms, but it is a testimony to every other person on earth. Because let me tell you something, and maybe you're sitting here today and it's your first time in church, and maybe this is the reason why you came. Maybe you grew up even get this. But when people come to church, listen, no one walks in here thinking it's a club or it's a movie theater or something. Okay? they know this is a church. So when people walk in here on a Sunday, they don't come in here looking for a place, that is the culture, they don't need someone that's something that's alternative. They don't need more doom and gloom. They don't need more pessimism. That is everywhere in the world around us. When we go to church, they're looking for possible for love and for hope and for grace. That's why people look for Jesus, because in him, that is what the good news is about. We find something that is so contrary to what the world teaches, completely different. Great neighbors, being a great neighbor means that you need to disrupt social norms that prevent involvement with those around you. So whatever social norms there might be in your own life that's preventing you from being a great neighbor, you need to identify that and you need to say, I need to let go of this in order to be a great neighbor, to meet people's needs where they are at. The barrier that we encounter, and this is probably one barrier that we all face, is the time barrier. See, in verse 34, who he is. He was probably a businessman traveling from city to city because we read later as well that he's coming back the same route. Maybe he was a wine and oil salesman, we don't know, but he's traveling and he need and he breaks out of his comfort zone. He breaks the social norms and he goes and he stops. He interrupts his journey to take care of someone in need. And this wasn't just like what he stopped. And he fixes this man up. Then he puts him on his donkey. A place Where he can rest. And he spends time with him there. And then he's saying. I will come back. So he's literally taking of his time. He's interrupting his own time. To take care of him. And what's interesting. Is the exact same thing. Jesus had plans. Of how he interrupted his plans. When children show up. They go away like, Jesus, don't have time for you. And Jesus is like, no, I want to bless them. When Jesus is on his way to heal someone, and a woman touches the seam of his robe to experience healing. And Jesus stops to speak with her. When Jesus goes into the mountains to find rest because he's so tired of, of taking care of all these people. And thousands of people stream to him. He looks at them, and the Bible says he's got compassion. And he interrupts. His schedule to take care of them. And that ended up in the feeding of the 5,000. See, Jesus didn't just ask of us to do this, He modeled this. And in our world, the problem is we value production and results and activity more than we value relationships. We get so used to run from task to task and I think there's probably no one in this room or no one watching online that says like, Oh, I've got so much. I wonder what I'm I've got so much time, I wonder what I'm gonna do with it all today. Right? We just go from one thing to another and unfortunately we often start moving so fast that we get to a place where we don't notice our neighbours in need right in front of us. We move so fast that we pass them by without even noticing them. John Berg, um, he was a pastor in Austin, Texas. He wrote the book, No Perfect People Allowed. And he said in the book that we have increased in this day and age that we're living in our financial capacity. Think about it. The wealth transfer, they say, that's happening from baby boomers to their children is the transfer in the history of humankind. He says, through all of this busyness, we have increased our financial capital, but it has cost us relational capital. How are we ever going to find time and energy for another relationship, never mind like a couple of Talk about neighboring. So let me ask you two questions to, th- to ask yourself in this moment. Okay? Just, just process this. One, are you living at a pace? Are you living at a pace that allows you to be available to those around you? That's whether you're in school. Are you living at a pace that makes you available to your friends at school? Whether you're at work, are you living at a pace that makes you available to your co-workers? When you're at your home, are you living at a pace making you available to your neighbors? And I'm guessing, because for me the answer is No. So I'm guessing it's no for you as well. So then ask yourself this question. This is something that I've really wrestled with in my own heart. Are all of the things that I'm doing, are all of the things I'm doing truly more important than taking the great commandment serious? See, great neighbors will have to make adjustments. And God might be calling you to say no to some time wasters and some good things in your life to focus on what is really important. Maybe he's asking you to stop binge watching or to turn off the video game or to stop going to so many sports events or to say no to things at at work. To have more relational capacity. Jesus is literally through this story telling us that we need to develop flexibility for those around us, just like the Samaritan had flexibility in his schedule for that man. Being interruptible. It is, it is being well convenience by being interrupted. Just this week on Friday, a friend said, interruptible like, for Louis." And we spent some time together that means so much to me. and I want to tell you a mindset that, that is set of others, that is what you need. In order to be a great neighbor. So that's the third, the third thing we have to overcome. Great neighbors need to be interruptible by those around them. And then our fourth and our final barrier. And I think this is another one. And maybe to a smaller extent. Because this is probably the easiest one to achieve without a lot of effort. The fourth barrier is our investment barrier. You see the Samaritan when he when he came across this man he invested in his life he sacrificed for this man not only with but he washed his wine and whether that was his own wine or stuff he was going to sell why wine because the alcohol acted as a disinfectant then he poured oil on this man why because that acted like a salve to soothe his wounds right then he put him on his donkey which meant that he had to walk Jerusalem, Jericho, whatever was closest. He had to walk there and guide this donkey with this broken man on his back. Then he spends time with him at this inn. And we're going to read it. And afterwards he says, by the way, I'll come back for this man. I'm like, what does he have? He's got the responsibility that God asked him to have to be a great neighbor. So he sacrificed in tangible ways for the sake of his neighbor. And we struggle I think because whether we know it or not, to a very, very large extent, we all believe that the resources I have are The money I have, the stuff I have, that's for me and for my comfort. But it's interesting, in Genesis 12, when God starts to journey with Abraham, God says, Abraham, I will bless you. One of the reasons why God says, I will bless you. I will bless you to be a person. It's not so that you can just live in comfort. It is so that you can be a blessing to your neighbors. It says all the nations on the earth will be blessed for, through you. But often what we do is when we hear of a prophet in our neighbor's lives, and I think all of all Christians are, are guilty of this. We go like, I'll pray for you. And there's nothing wrong with praying for people because I believe there's incredible power in prayer. But the use prayer as an excuse to sacrifice something tangible. Now, so this man is he's, he's lying next to the road. He's broken. We're like, I'll, I'm praying for you, buddy. Hope you better. That doesn't make a difference. And we should pray. and God, We should also be willing to sacrifice. In a tangible way, in Galatians 6, we read that we should share each other's burdens. Another translation says that we should carry each other's burdens. Another translation says that we should bear each other. Obey the law of Christ. Sharing a burden or carrying a burden means that I take the load off of your shoulders and put it on mine, and I sacrifice in a tangible way to help you. Jesus is saying that neighboring will cost us something. Neighboring doesn't just happen. When you see your neighbor across the street, you need to be willing to sacrifice, and not just of your time, and not just of your comfort zone, and not just of your social norms, but it's probably also going to take something physical. Maybe a pie, or a bottle of wine, or some oil. And again, if you say, Louie, but what about my neighbor? Can't they? I brought them a pie last time. They haven't brought me something back. Okay, let, let me just remind you again. You have a mandate to love your neighbor. They do not. It's not about what they do. It's not about an eye for an eye. It's about what Jesus has asked us to do. And I'm not saying by this, have no boundaries with your neighbors, okay, whoever they might be. Next week, we're going to be talking about how to build a relationship and even some healthy boundaries, but great neighbors, to be a great neighbor, you need to be willing to invest in those around you. How do I do it? How do I get to a place where I'm willing to cross the barriers? And I want to close with this. It's about living like Jesus. And this is how simple it is. If you're like, I know these barriers are in my life. I don't have the time. I have all. Like there's so many things that are preventing me. How do I live by, like Jesus? Simple. Keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing here is loving God with everything you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the main thing. That's where we start. If you truly love Jesus, that's where we start. We don't do it to gain God's approval. We spoke about this last week. We have his approval when we follow Jesus. We have forgiveness for our sin. But because we love Jesus, because of his love, it becomes the outflow of our life. Let me tell you, if you don't purposefully choose to love your neighbor... The choices will be made for you. Your comfort will make the choice for you to not go to your neighbor. Your prejudice, your social norms will make the choice for you. Your time will just be filled up with stuff. The choice will be made for you. There's a great book if you ever want to read some more about like practically how to be a neighbor called The Art of Neighboring. And in that book, they said this, we can only do a few things in life really well. Okay, here it is again. We can only do a few things in life really well. It's a good idea to make certain one of those things is what Jesus says is most important. Go one more time. We can only do a few things in life really well. It's a good idea to make certain that one of those things is what Jesus says is most important. It's not easy to love your neighbor. I struggle with that a lot as well. And it takes trust in God to get involved in people's pain and in their messiness. But I know that if I trust Jesus, then He will guide me through it. So start practicing here. This is your safe space to start practicing in at your church. So here's a couple of practical things. Okay, One, and head to your car. One day I'm going to be waiting at your car and I'm going to close the door on you and say, go back in. <laughs> By the way, I have actually done that in the past. Not here, but I'm, I'm still seeing if Canadians will handle it before I do that. <clears throat> so just run out. Stay a while. Have a coffee. Speak to someone you don't know. If you see someone standing on their own, I know this is going to be so weird. You're going to give your wife an elbow and say, go and speak to them. She's going to be like, no, you go and speak to them. And then you just both go, okay? So don't just go yourself. Secondly, join a grace group. This is our final week of grace groups um, for this semester. Then we have two weeks. In the next two weeks, we'll be opening up sign-ups for grace groups. That is a great place in a safe environment to not only talk about this and figure out how we live the way Jesus wants us to live, but to actually love people. Okay, so here, this week, go and knock on your neighbor's door. Take them some wine or some oil. Okay, be a Samaritan. And then if you didn't get one of those Easter invites, there's a ton of them um, at the info days. Grab them. If that's the easiest, invite their kids to Easter egg hunt. You don't even have to give them Easter eggs. Like, we'll provide Just invite them. But find ways this week to overcome some of your barriers and say, I'm going to be a great neighbor. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you... You ask us to fulfill the law in ways that puts us so out of our comfort zone, that is so countercultural, but Jesus as someone that has experienced the most incredible love and grace that we can ever find in you. I feel like I have no choice but to share that love of Jesus with others. And I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to overcome the barriers in our lives that prevents us from being great neighbors. Whatever they might be. May no excuse ever be big enough to avoid, to make us cross the road to the other side. But may you move something, Holy Spirit, in our lives. May our hearts be moved for the things that move your heart. May, when we see our neighbours, may we see what you see in them, and maybe we love them the way you would love them. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.